You cannot talk your way out of what you behaved your way into. Improving organizational culture with thoughtful DEI initiatives today on the Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto, and I'm so thrilled to be back and talking with you all after a bit of a summer hiatus. I have some great guests lined up for upcoming episodes, and we're going to be discussing some really important topics. But first things first, right now, I'm pleased to tell you that we've brought back Beyond the News, the segment in which we discuss a current event and what it means for the healthcare industry. So let's introduce our brand new Beyond the News team. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you already know our senior editor, Nick Hutt. Hey, Nick. Hey, Erica. Great to be back with you. The other half of this dynamic duo is Sean Stack. Hey, Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Erica. Yeah, I just joined HFMA last year, hit the ground running just in time for all the rule season, right? I'm director of perspectives and analysis for HFMA. So one of the policy directors. So happy to be here and join you guys. Awesome. So Nick and Sean, what's happening in the news this week? Just looking back at this summer, there are so many different big healthcare policy stories for us to choose from. We're going to focus on two in particular, price transparency and surprise billing. Uh, With regard to transparency, of course, healthcare providers have had time to adopt the transparency regulations that were implemented back on January 1st. Some of the latest news involves follow-up from regulators in D.C. looking to ensure that providers are in fact complying with the mandates. A variety of studies over the past six months or so have found widespread noncompliance. In response, we've seen that in the 2022 proposed rule for the outpatient prospective payment system, CMS crafted a significant increase to the monetary penalty for noncompliance. So, Sean, what do you make of that? Nick, yeah, penalties for large hospitals could get very expensive if they remain noncompliant. The maximum penalties set to cap at $5,500 per day based on hospital bed size. So it'll be interesting to see what happens as providers push back on the increased penalty over a regulation that in many areas has remained somewhat hazy in technical guidance. And at times, I'm hearing that hospitals who feel they are 100% compliant are being told they are indeed not meeting 100% of the requirements after random audits are being performed. Right. And that murkiness, for lack of a better term, is one of the things certainly that has rubbed hospitals and health systems the wrong way about this whole regulatory based transparency push. It also bears mentioning that for anyone who may want to comment on the transparency proposal or any other aspect of the OPPS proposed rule, uh, comments are due on September 17th. And now turning to surprise billing, which in some ways you could say is an extension of the transparency push. As part of the No Surprises Act, the first of several interim final rules was just issued in early July. Sean, it's great to be able to hear from you on this topic in particular, because you've been working with the HFMA membership on fleshing out some of these issues. So what insight can you give us there? There are several areas of concern, to be honest with you, with the No Surprises Act and this first installment of the interim final rules. So this is the first installment of probably at least three rules that will be coming out in rapid fire this fall, we hope, um, in order to get it in in time for people to get prepared. But providers and HFMA are very concerned that the rule may cause healthcare delays associated with post-stabilization care, non-emergent care. In this area, there's a minimum requirement of a three-hour wait time after the patient signs the consent form if they want to proceed with medical care. 
So hospitals are really in a hold pattern for a minimum of three to four hours in providing that care after the patient decides to move forward. So HFMA and members feel this delay is not in the best interest of patient care. And we hope the agencies will follow CMS's lead as they have set in regards to ABM standards and getting those issued to patients, you know, in the past, because they really follow the same streamlines of no surprises. ABN requirements don't require a delay in care. So we'll definitely be monitoring this whole topic throughout the coming months. You can see content by Sean and me on hfma.org on the blog and news pages, and also showcased in HFMA Daily, which is our member newsletter. Sean, many thanks for your time. And Erica, back to you. Thanks, Nick and Sean, for that update. And listeners, you can hear Beyond the News on every regular episode of this podcast. So be sure to subscribe to continue to get their insights. Racial disparities in healthcare, and really everywhere, have come into focus quite a bit in the last handful of years. There has been some movement toward better understanding and better representation, but it's clear we have a long way to go. So in an effort to begin the conversation about where to go from here, I reached out to Dr. Rume Alexander, who has spent her entire career addressing disparities in the healthcare industry, both in the workplace and in patient care. Dr. Alexander is a nurse by background and a professor in the School of Nursing at UNC Chapel Hill, and was previously the Associate Vice Chancellor for Diversity and Inclusion on the campus. She's the immediate past president of the National League for Nursing and is currently a scholar in residence with the American Nurses Association addressing racism in nursing. I know there are people listening who are interested in advancing initiatives around diversity, equity, and inclusion in your organizations, so I hope you'll find her advice useful, but I have to warn you, there's no checklist here. This is hard work that requires careful examination and thought. But I think Dr. Alexander provides plenty to think about. The attention being paid to issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion, it it feels like things are moving in a good direction, at least from things that I've read. I read recently about Howard University uh, building a new center dedicated to researching health disparities. That sounds like a really good thing. The number of jobs with titles like director of diversity and chief diversity officer have gone up significantly. I know you have some things to say about that. So for leaders who are listening and who want to be a part of this conversation and to improve things in their organizations and in their world, what are the things that they need to be thinking about? How do you identify as a leader who to bring into these conversations or who to promote to one of these leadership positions in diversity? And maybe this is the most important. How do you listen when somebody tells you the truth about something and you don't want to hear that? You packed a lot into that question. You might have to to remind me uh, what I haven't covered. Well, let's let's just start with, you know, where where do you start? What are you what are some things you want to be thinking about if you're saying, I know this is an important issue and I want to be thinking about it? What are the what are the kind of uh, starting points for discussion? So I think one has to really think about aiming for uh, equality of opportunity. And that starts with self-awareness and unpacking what's going on with the self. What are the assumptions I'm making? How do they play themselves out? 
how do they impact decision making? Be it hiring, retention, policy development, resource allocation. These are these are systemic issues. And systemic issues require systemic solutions. However, one has to start with self. Who's at the table? And if everyone at the table is working on self and working on their assumptions in a way that allows them to really be honest and authentic about some of the things we've been taught and have been baked into systems and baked into our thinking and have shaped us that are now of question. We want to really give some thought to uh, how we do the things we do as the temptations would say. Uh, that's my definition of culture and I think they're pretty good philosophers. Uh, but, but, but to quote them, culture is really about the way you do the things you do. So whether we're talking about ourselves and how we do what we do, or we're talking about organizationally, the things we do as an organization, that's, you know, that's requires examination. And it's more than the checklist. And what I mean by the checklist is just about every organization you can think of has mission and vision and values on its wall. And if anybody asks them, do they, have that? Yes. Does it make you inclusive? No. Does it make it a, a place of belonging and welcoming of differences and authenticity of individuals and that equity of opportunity? Not necessarily. So what I'm saying to you is that it's more common than not that we've checked the box off. We have it, but we don't live it. Another way to think about this is, is to quote my mother again, um, who, by the way, uh, did not have a high school education, but was a very brilliant woman, I think, in many ways. But she used to use this phrase on my sisters and me. I have used it on my children. I find that it works in corporate, in Washington, with Congress, in churches where you've got denominations who are cultures and who have differences, this following piece of advice, just remember you cannot talk your way out of what you behaved your way into. And so this behavior is speaking louder than all of the rhetoric on the walls. This is the hard work. This often needs someone to help lead that dynamic because it's emotion filled too. What you're literally telling folks is the people and the organizations that you grew up in and that you believe would had your best interest in heart and would only tell you the truth didn't necessarily do that. Now I'm not saying throw everything out around tradition. All right, I'm just saying examine it and make sure that what you're bringing forward works. And so this requires some preparation in being the change leader. It's, it's informed by experience, but there's a whole body of work and science around this. And what is occurring sometimes is we 
want to hurry up and check the box again, organizationally, by saying, oh, well, look how diverse we are. We have a chief diversity officer who happens to be, you know, pick a, pick a racial group. Anybody other than white, typically. But we have placed whites in that space. And quite frankly, white is a color. White is a race. We have, white has a culture. Uh, it's been normed. And it's why sometimes we don't think of it that way. When we say people of color, we're thinking of everybody else, but, but literally that's true as well. And so an understanding of, of organizational behavior, of change management, of dynamics of, of humanity, of ethics, of policy development, of decision-making, the ability to do research are all elements that someone who's in this space needs to have. It is not what we have traditionally thought about. So we've, we believe that if it was a person of color or they were part of a religious organization, they let them resist, oh, they will be the people who know. When in fact, we're asking people, when we put them in that space like that, Well, let me put it this way. It's unfair to them because we're asking something of them they're not prepared to do. So I would like to take this into the patient room for a moment um, because I, I feel like there are probably people who are listening and saying, wow, I know we have some work to do. I want to do this work. And there are probably, to be fair, some people who are listening and saying, oh, we're fine. We're great. My organization is, is fantastic. Yes. But yes. I've got some statistics here. Our writer at HFMA, Deb Philippek, reported recently on a study that found that Black patients experience higher rates of hospital-acquired illnesses or injuries uh, related to surgical procedures relative to white patients in the same hospital. That's pretty disturbing. Black women are three times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. That is very disturbing. A poll conducted by the Kaiser Family Foundation last fall showed that 25% of Black women reported discrimination in a healthcare setting, 25, compared to 7% of white women. And that percentage is higher for Black women with children. So a lot of what I'm seeing around this discussion and this topic comes back to we should treat everybody equally. And that's kind of the, the solution that that everyone thinks is a solution. And it's clear that's that's not enough. That's not happening. The numbers tell us that is not what's happening from not only just feeling discriminated against, but actual outcomes, health outcomes. But we're talking about something that has been part of our culture for hundreds of years. So we're not going to solve this in one conversation. I wish we could, but how can we start to untangle this and realize this really is a problem? This really is something that we need to make creative solutions around and starting those conversations within our organizations about taking these disparities seriously. So you're right. Those statistics are quite alarming um, and they paint quite a picture of what happens under stressful conditions, under baked-in systems that advantage some and disadvantage others, of decisions that place people 
where they live, play, and worship in very dangerous environments. And that all shows up in our patient care institutions. We've got to remember that all our encounters are cultural encounters and we're never in the space of not having a cultural encounter, even if everybody in the room looks alike. So in a healthcare setting, what you've got is the patient's culture, the provider's culture, the organization's culture, the state that they live in's culture, and the United States culture. That's, I just named five. Who, with, with, with every exchange, bumps into each other. Sometimes it's a good fit, sometimes it's not. You can't always match up person or patient with provider that's from the same race, gender, ethnicity, religion. We can't staff that way because we have a disparity not only in the leadership of our organizations, but in the providers. The ability to even go to school or college to get that kind of training and educational preparation. So what we need to do is equip people for what to do when you're in the space and you're encountering difference that you don't know or understand. And quite frankly, the answer is pretty simple. Since I'm the expert on me, ask me. Rather than assuming you know me and putting an identity on me that's not true, ask me who I am. How do I approach my work? What do I value? What do I have to navigate? Because this idea of treating everybody the same as treating everybody fairly is wrong. And it's wrong because of the assumption. Not everybody starts out at the same place. And we're in the healthcare business, okay? There's a difference between the business of health and the business of healthcare. If you do the business of healthcare without doing the business of health, you will dehumanize people. And once you dehumanize someone, you can do anything to them. So yeah, we need to make watch our bottom lines, our margins. We need to be financially sound, but not at the expense of inequities of humanity. Not at the expense of causing suffering, premature death, of killing innovation of ideas. We got to do both. That's, that's the work. That's the dance. Well, I hope that listening to this has inspired at least a few people to get in and do some of this work. I, I enjoy talking with you so much because I learned so much just listening. Dr. Alexander, thank you so, so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. And I just want to say to everyone, 
It's not just the work of your chief diversity officer to make inclusion and belonging and health equity possible. It's all hands on deck. It requires all of us. We're all diversity champions. Before we close out this episode, we've got a little HFMA news to share about our upcoming annual conference. I'm really excited to welcome to the podcast, Katie Gilholan, who is part of the HFMA annual conference team. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. There's a lot happening with our annual conference this year that's new. For one thing, it's taking place in November this year, where it's typically been in the summer, and we're having it in Minneapolis, which is a new place and it's really exciting. So, Katie, what should we tell the listeners about what's new and exciting at this year's event? Yeah, so a lot of changes have been made, as you noted. Uh, The conference will be at the Minneapolis Convention Center in the great city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's going to be such a great host city for the event. It's centrally located, which makes it easy to get to. And the layout of the event is more condensed and easily walkable, more so than some of our past annual conference events. And the event will be very easy to navigate and everyone involved from the city, the hotels and the convention center have been so welcoming and excited about hosting HFMA's annual conference this fall. This is obviously the first time we're getting together for the annual conference since 2019. Um, We had a great virtual conference last year, but I know I definitely miss being in the room, getting to meet people face to face. So I know I'm really looking forward to that. Yes, it's really exciting. We are still offering the option to participate in the education virtually, and we will be live streaming the general sessions and breakout sessions. But we are really hoping that those who can join us in person will and be able to participate in all the networking and the events that we have planned. It's actually a great year for us to be back in person as this year marks HFMA's 75th anniversary. So we have a big celebration planned the first night of the conference. Um, The event kicks off the afternoon of Monday, November 8th, where Joe Pfeiffer, our CEO and president, will welcome everyone and deliver his industry message. And then he will introduce a great keynote we have lined up, Celeste Headley, who our listeners may know from being a host on National Public Radio, her many appearances on podcasts or her books, one of which is titled, We Need to Talk, How to Have Better Conversations. So we are really looking forward to her guidance on that topic at the event. As many of us have been Zooming and remote, Celeste Headley will start the night with some great tips on networking, being a better listener and having great conversations. And I'm sure everyone will find something they can use and relate to in her message. Then, as I mentioned, we have a big celebration planned, our 75th anniversary gala with great appetizers and fake band and some dancing. And we are planning a special 75th anniversary cocktail as well. So we look forward to having people reconnect with old colleagues and friends and make new connections as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, I've been talking with members who are really eager to get back together in person. So I'm really looking forward to it too. HFMA's annual conference will take place November 8th through 10th in Minneapolis and also virtually if that's more your speed. 
If you want to learn more, and I hope you will, just go to events.hfma.org slash annual, and you can find all the information you need. Thank you so much for joining me today, Katie. Thank you. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. We've taken a little break over the summer, but we are back in podcasting mode and planning out future episodes. So if there's a topic you wanna hear about, we wanna hear from you. You can email our team at podcast at hfma.org. Easter egg.